Yeah, she actually had a shirt that said Daddy's Little Sociopathic Baby Girl. <laughs> a sex tape? How pedestrian. I bought some of the queerest folk attitude in there. This Thursday at 9, a new episode of Scared and Horny. Who will be scared? Who will be horny? Tune in to find out. And I would. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just magic. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Wallace, and I'm joined by... Calissa Mullis. And Kate Colvin. Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about season two, episode two, Shape Shifted. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta. The beta section is for first-timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the Alpha and Beta section. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives like early access to episodes, Full Moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. This episode, Shape Shifted, was written by Andrew Cochran and directed by Russell Mulcahy. The gang tries to figure out how to save new werewolf Isaac when he's arrested for his father's murder, and the Argent hunting crew, led by Gerard, sets out to kill him. Scott and Stiles face Gerard at school as well, since Gerard is now the Beacon Hills High School principal. Derek tries to convince Scott to join his pack. Scott learns more about Isaac's relationship with his father, which unfortunately makes Isaac look even more guilty. Jackson gets Matt to loan him a camera to record himself overnight. Allison applies her archery skills, and Derek and Stiles defend Isaac at the sheriff's station. Our favorite quote of this week is Coach Finstock, saying, Stalinsky, what the hell is wrong with your friend? Styles responds, uh, he's failing two classes, he's a little socially awkward, and if you look close enough, his jawline's kind of uneven. And it's just so cute, because Posey's jawline is just, like, the best. It's so adorable. When we get to season four, I have a story about that jawline. <laughs> Only a couple of years to wait. Yep, we'll see you in 2025, folks. <laughs> now, we had many honorable mentions for this episode because it was just so good some might say too many oh be quiet <laughs> that's will no one else <laughs> overruled sir <laughs> you are overruled <laughs> we have jackson dumping his bag full of black bile black blood covered kleenexes in the trash and saying freaks to isaac and his father with no sense of irony it's in context, just so funny. It's it's a beautiful moment. And so very Jackson. Like out of everything in the show, I feel like I just would use that scene to summarize Jackson. If I had to show someone one scene, be like, this is who Jackson Whitmore is. One word in this one case. One word. One word. We have Coach Finstock saying, part of me wants to ask. The other part says knowing will be more disturbing than anything I could ever imagine. 
So I'm going to walk away, he tells Styles after chains fall off Styles' locker for like five minutes straight. I think it was like five days straight. Five days. All the chain. It's a lot of chain. And he also says, faster, make daddy proud as the students are playing. No context required. And then Derek's, I'm the alpha, which he says to Styles. And it's beautiful. Short, sweet, and to the point. Derek in a nutshell. The episode starts at the Leahy house, where Mr. Leahy grills Isaac about his grades. He's getting an A in French, but a B minus in econ. Maybe they should have had Isaac sing the French phrases instead of the Argents if he's getting an A in that class. That would be my preference. I'm not paying attention to the French. I'm looking at the picture of guns all behind Isaac's head. What's going on with those pictures? When Isaac admits that he's getting a D in chemistry, Mr. Leahy throws a glass at Isaac's face. The glass smashes against the wall and a shard gets lodged in Isaac's cheek, just below his eye. It could have blinded him. Uh, This scene is rough, but it's so well done. I mean, John Wesley Shipp is great in this role. And I remember watching him. I remember watching this the first time and being like, oh, it's the Flash. And then he got abusive. And I was just like, no, Flash, don't do that. Poor Isaac. He's just such like a sad hurt puppy in the scene. And you just want to comfort him. Like take him up in a hug. Just like a tall English lanky puppy. Well, that's Charmin, but... Isaac is a tall American puppy. That's right. He's a tall, lanky American puppy. So I do imagine that if he ever came back, like, post-season six, he would come back wearing even more scarves and having a French accent. They're like, that. hey, Isaac, we know you weren't born in France. He's like, je ne sais quoi. (laughs) (laughs) To Mr. Leahy's shock, the wound on Isaac's face heals almost instantly once he pulls the shard of glass out. I never like seeing blood going back into a wound, you know, like it, it goes back up his face and into the wound to show that he's healing, you know, because I, I get it. If he had like, if it had like gone away, he wiped his face, you know, I think the audience might, there might've been some confusion. Yeah. I, I had forgotten about this till we rewatched it, but I agree visually. I see what they're doing, but it doesn't actually make sense. Like he should just heal. The blood shouldn't like back into his body. Yeah. We never do get to see Isaac's sexy bite mark the way we did with Jackson's. Yeah, I feel like you can't get exploitative in the same episode as you have that opening scene with Isaac. There's just no way to do that gracefully. Yeah. Mm, I mean, we have Kate licking Derek's torso. Okay, Derek is the exception. No one cares what happens to Derek. I care, Kate. I care. I feel like the show is allowed to do things to him that it doesn't and wouldn't do to any other character. Yeah. But that's also because Isaac didn't have a sexy bite mark. You know why? Because when Derek went to him, was like, I'm totally going to bite you. He was like, can I, like, I had a bad experience. Can I not bite you, like, on your hip? He's like, yeah, man, here's my hand. God. <laughs> that's what would have happened. Like with, like with, uh, uh, like with Sinqua later. He's just going to have it like on his arm. And it's like, yeah, that's right. You just, uh, you just bite people in like a normal place. You mean <laughs> you know? uh, Boyd or Boyd. Tyler Hecklin biting him off screen as well? <laughs> Isaac flees the house and Mr. Leahy follows him yelling. We see Jackson next door. One of my absolute favorite Jackson moments. I feel like this episode is full of great Jackson moments of just like little, little touches. They're like, this is exactly Jackson in one line or one look into yes. a mirror as he's flexing. You know, so <laughs> it's a good episode for gifting. If y'all like gifting, is. this is the good one. Mr. Leahy chases Isaac through the rain, but quickly loses him. This continues to be the season of water imagery. Mr. Leahy sees a figure in an alley through rain, blurred glasses, and assumes it's Isaac. The figure attacks him. This bit is another great example of how 
Teen Wolf will use practical effects to obscure the CGI. So in season one, when we had our first big werewolf fight between Derek and Scott, when Derek was transforming, instead of just having, you know, a close up on his face as the CGI takes his human face and transforms it into his shifted face, we're seeing it through this sort of blurry glass that makes it almost impressionistic. And here we're seeing the outline of the creature, whatever it is, through glasses that are covered in raindrops. And when they do this, it makes it a lot harder to find any imperfections in the CGI, which I feel like just, it keeps the mystique and it makes it age well. So when I'm rewatching this, you know, almost 10 years later, I'm like, this still looks fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's, really good you know it's it's really really great great job again russell mulcahy and cinematographer jonathan hall just basically knocking it out of the park with like every shot of this series it's like hey the last shot was was pretty excellent should we do it again yeah yeah let's do it again just keep going not that i feel sorry for mr Leahy in any way but no this is why it sucks to wear glasses (laughs) there was one night i have two dogs willow and maggie they started barking freaking out middle of the night they They did yeah, oh, they almost well, like the middle of the night, middle of the night, they yeah. run out to the couch and start barking their head off. And I go out there and I look and I'm like, there's like this creepy dude just standing on the other side of the sidewalk, just like staring at my house. And he's like not moving at all. I like keep watching. Not oh, I didn't moving. realize you saw me. Yeah, well, I'm not. I go to get my glasses and I put them on and I realize it's just a mailbox that I've been staring at. <laughs> that explains why he was so still. I thought yes. he was practically inanimate. Yep. <laughs> it was just yes. your Derek stand up just falls over. <laughs> I wish. I wish I had one of those. We see through the mysterious creature's green tinted eyes as it tears Mr. Leahy apart. And that takes us out of yet another fantastic Teen Wolf teaser. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Yeah, I'm going to miss him. Did they just hire a model to do the shots in the theme sequence where Torso is covered in black blood? Yes, I believe she must have been a model because she did just stand in a kiddie pool that I bought uh, at Toys R Us that was also used for Tyler Hecklin's bits where he's standing and roaring majestically and, and all the, the dust is flying off of him. And it is majestic. It is quite mm-hmm. majestic. And, uh, you know, because of the nudity, it was a little bit of a close set. And I think it was just her and the DP. I don't remember what the substance was, you know, that was all black and gooey that they put all over her body. But, you know, basically they just got a whole bunch of shots of her kind of like running her fingers or her nails through it. And it looks fantastic. It, it is it does super look cool. Great. It does sort of look like oil. Like yeah. there's been a massive oil spill or something, but yeah, yeah, it's a, there's some really cool shots. I also really like the shot at the end of the theme sequence where it's like, I, I think it's still water, but it's, it's really bubbly and the, the black substance is slowly spreading through it. That looks really cool too. It looks awesome. I want to just say points for them for doing a closed set for her privacy, the model who filmed it. Because I know there are some sets where there's definitely been stories that have come out that they do not have that kind of consideration for their actresses or actors. To communicate secretly, Allison breathes hot air on her car window to reveal a time to meet Scott. It's clever of them. I wonder which one of them came up with this. Allison. Definitely Allison. But it, it, it is clever. So we only see Allison's side of it. But I assume that 
the idea is Scott would go up, fog up the glass, write the message in it, and then let it dissipate. And then she sees that later when she fogs up the glass. It's a cool idea. It is. Will seems confused. But he would have to be in the car. I can't fog up one side of a window and write a message, and then you get on the other side of the window, fog it up, and see it. That's true. Time to myth bust some shit. Because the whole point is like the oil from your fingers is what you're seeing. So he had to get into her car, which is completely fine. They, he well, maybe he did at school because they're still That's in true. school. So That's maybe he like snuck out one point because I guess oh, he's that, going to like no. her driveway. And stuff. There you go. Yeah, no, that makes yeah. complete sense. He snuck out, got in her car and left the message. No, no, that makes complete sense. Complete yeah, sense. I, she, she could just leave it unlocked and then he would yep. lock it as soon as he leaves the message. And that way she would know that he left it. There you go. Beacon Hill's a safe place. You can leave your doors unlocked. Exactly. Plot hole fixed. Band-aid. At midnight, Allison meets Scott in the preserve. I love the shot of Scott silhouetted where you can really just see the outline of him and then his red eyes are just little points of light in the darkness. It looks great. It looks fantastic. Also, I think this is the first time we see that part of the Beacon Hills Preserve is like at the top of a mountain i guess because in this beautiful effect shot you see beacon hills kind of in the valley below as uh alice is kind of walking along through the woods and it it looks fantastic so right we've seen scott jump over the this chasm you know between hills or mountains but we haven't seen it from this angle where we can actually tell how it's situated relative to the woods the forested area i still feel like beacon hills is just like the inside of hogwarts and it's just constantly changing it is the town of requirements there it is nailed it this is a fantastic effect shot and i think i've seen somewhere before like this before and after where it's crystal reed kind of just walking through the woods and i think on the ground they placed I don't remember what it was, but it was some kind of barrier that was just like, don't walk past this line or else you'll have fallen off the cliff. And then, you know, (laughs) they created the cliff and put the town into the shot. And I'll see if I can that before and after, you know, so. That would be cool to see. Allison can tell that Scott is anxious about her grandfather. She says that she doesn't really know him and that he's pretty much just someone who always sent a card on her birthday. And that's really it. She tries to get Scott to tell her what happened to make him so worried. But Scott decides not to tell her about Gerard murdering the Omega. And by murder, I mean cut in into two pieces. Bisect. There it is. I think there's another longer word for it with multiple syllables and consonants. I'm not going to try and repeat it. Yeah, this actually really pisses me off, this decision that Scott makes. like, And you know he's thinking about it too because she says the thing about they're not going to split us up and he's like, not us. So he's literally like making a little pun in his head about the Omega being literally split and just makes a conscious decision not to tell her about that happening just like god damn it scott i don't know i feel like this is kind of towing the line when it comes to characters withholding information from each other you know purely for the sake of drama but i kind of get it because he doesn't want her to know something really awful about her dad because he was standing right next to the you know the humor rectomy I mean, first of all, I feel like we're a world of past that. But second of all, it's not even really about her dad. It's about her grandpa. And she just said she barely knows him. Yeah, I feel like Scott could have said, you know, I watched this happen and your dad seemed really upset about it happening too. Like, you should be keep an eye out for what's going on there. That's true. It did upset It it even seemed like there could be a rift in the future 
like within the Argent clan and the their hunting group because Chris values the code and Gerard is like the code. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah he says in revenge uh for kate but we're at where we're at because kate was also like the code right yeah it's like i don't know i'm pretty sure the the code attitude egg came before that death chicken but if you want to make that argument i guess have at it yeah gerard is very upset that his sociopathic baby girl was murdered yeah she actually had a shirt that said daddy's little sociopathic baby girl <laughs> My God, that probably exists somewhere. <laughs> but speaking of the Argent clan, at Beacon Hills High School, Victoria and Associates accost Principal Thomas. Victoria points out that academic achievement has declined in the last few semesters, leading some parents to believe that Principal Thomas should step down. Principal Thomas is taken aback by this and protests that she can't fire him. She responds that what she can do is torture him. So that escalated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Very quickly. Uh, fun fact, guys. Principal Thomas is played by Teen Wolf writer, director, producer, Christian Taylor. That is a fun fact. It is a fun fact. He's a great guy. This seems like a huge risk that the Argents are taking with this because they seem to keep their activities mostly on the down low previously. And this is just like, we're going to roll up to the school and torture someone in a car. Do they though? Because I don't think the Argents take small risks. I feel like in every episode, someone's shooting an automatic weapon somewhere in Beacon Hills. Also, they were in a chase with cops hmm. in the previous season. Yeah, Like they were in a high-speed chase alongside police officers. But I feel like for that one, Chris was willing to take more risk because he felt like people's lives were at stake because so many people were dying. I feel like this is more reckless and it's because it's Gerard and Victoria leading the way. I don't think Chris would have been like on board with this completely. Like it wouldn't be Chris's idea to do this. No. I, I agree. Chris is a lot more like, okay, I'll push the limits if there's like immediate life-threatening danger. Yeah. But he's typically not like going right up to the local high school and committing felonies against people who could then like testify against them later. <laughs> yeah. Chris, <laughs> you know, in this scene does look a little distressed in his awesome jacket and zip up vest and button down. So he's looking very distressed and handsome. Distressed and handsome. Distransome, if you will. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> Isaac runs to Derek for help in the abandoned subway, explaining that his father was killed, but he wasn't the one who did it. That was a really nice shot of Derek emerging from the shadows. Fantastic. Yeah, it's yet another cool shot of a silhouette and then the glowing supernatural eyes in the I dark. Still contend that we should have had the reverse of that shot in the previous episode when Derek sees all the black blood coming out of uh, Jackson and he walks backwards into the shadows because he's all freaked <laughs> out by what he's seeing. He and like Homer I feel like Simpsons right out of that Homer scene. Simpsons out of Definitely. that scene, but I do feel like his eyes should have gone red. But it does look better here. It does. 
How do you think he decided, yes, I want to live in a subway car that's been abandoned? I think that he was trying to find a place that was like more expansive, right? That had more space that he could fill with uh, betas that he's turning. And so he came up with several options, one of which was an abandoned subway, and the others were reasonable places like apartments to lease. And then he thought, I don't deserve an apartment. I'm going with the abandoned subway. In the boys' locker room at the high school, Scott and Styles discussed that night's full moon. Scott believes that he's in control of the ship and doesn't need to be chained up, especially since things are going so well with Allison. Styles insists that Scott's murderous inclinations on the full moon are too stressful and that Scott must be chained up. He opens his locker to show Scott what he got and a very, very long chain falls out. It is so much chain. So much. And when you think it's going to stop, it's still going. It's like a magic trick with this locker. (laughs) (laughs) The locker's bigger on the inside. There's like a top hat that tipped over inside. It's just all this chain coming out of the top hat. As we mentioned during the favorite quotes section, Coach Finstock is bewildered by the chain that has fallen out of Styles' locker, but he elects not to ask. All right, I'm taking my last remaining testicle elsewhere, <laughs> is what he should have said. This is the first time he refers uh, to something related to Styles as disturbing, but definitely not the last, as I recall. Yes. I believe that's correct. You know what I miss from season one that I wish now that I'm thinking of it, had kind of been a recurring joke. I wish he had forever called Styles Belinsky. <laughs> that that had just become the thing with Coach. That would have been kind of fun. I can tell you that the Biles thing continued, if primarily as a portmanteau for bisexual Styles Biles. I feel like it just, uh, people would have gotten annoyed with this if it continued. I feel uh, yeah, like I see you. it lands better as a joke with it just being the one episode. Concise. No, you're right. As always, y'all are correct. Scott's eyes flash yellow when his senses tell him there's another werewolf in the room with him. Shock horror. Right in front of everyone. Okay, he's still learning control. It's fine. He just said he was all better and didn't need to be chained up. Okay, yeah, but also teenagers lie. So, <laughs> I mean, what are we doing here? <laughs> you're not wrong. If Styles had taken the bite, maybe he'd be able to tell when Scott was lying. Oh. Too bad Peter's dead and can't bite him now. And Derek's not going to do it because he doesn't like Styles. So keep that going. There needs to be a giant steric-shaped asterisk after the phrase you just uttered. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm just going with canon, folks. So stick with me for the canon. The situation's a lot more nuanced than that. (laughs) Alice and Lydia prepare to go into the school. For Lydia, it's her first time back since she was attacked at the formal dance. She tells Allison that the doctors don't know what caused her fugue state, but she doesn't care because she lost nine pounds. Allison asks whether Lydia is ready to face the other students, to which Lydia replies that at least her aunt isn't a serial killer. Wow. That is harsh. And Allison's just like, well, that's Lydia. I do love that line from Lydia, though. (laughs) It's a really good line from Lydia. It's a zinger. Like, it's a high quality burn. It is, but I kind of feel like a little too far just a little just one step too far but allison doesn't seem to care because she doesn't have any other friends so she's got to live with it as soon as they go inside lydia can feel all the other students eyes on her she fixes her hair straightens her shoulders and fiercely struts down the hallway i love this bit with lydia it's like we're seeing her get battle ready in real time mean girl's back in the house she's like a heather and i'm here for it yes On the bleachers before practice, Jackson asks Matt to let him rent one of Matt's high-quality digital cameras that can record in low light all night long. I'm surprised Matt's on the team, but I guess whoever's important to the season is just on the team. Yeah, he's a big nerd. Yeah. 
Makes sense. As practice starts, Styles tells Scott he's come up with a way for him to get one-on-one with the other players on the team to try and determine who the other werewolf is. He'll be the goalie while the other students run drills individually throwing balls at the goal. A perfect one-on-one exercise. Scott uses the opportunity to smell the other players and not very subtly. Hey, where do you get your axe? (laughs) My God, I I love how you laughed at it. That was your joke. My mom buys all my obnoxious body spray. (laughs) (laughs) We don't get any Mama McCall this episode. Worst episode of the season. So Scott's nose is all up in everybody's business and everyone's pretty weirded out by his behavior, except Danny, who coolly lets Scott know that his aftershave is Armani. Guys, Danny's got game for days. That was so smooth. He got this coy little smile like, I know you like it. It's Armani. Yeah. (laughs) And coach is like, stop flirting with Danny. Already tried to set the two of you up and you didn't go for it. You told me you aren't gay. Don't you play with Danny like that. Yet another example of coach looking out for his players. He's like, I tried to make this happen. You didn't want it. He's off the table, buddy. Walk away. Just walk away. (laughs) I've already decided he's too good for you. Exactly. I mean, let's be honest. Danny's pretty much too good for anybody I think on this show. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be lonely at the top, but. It can be lonely at the top. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. The Armani smelling crown. Mm -hmm. All of the collisions between Scott and the other players are intense, but the one with Isaac is especially hardcore. God, everyone's like matrixing all over the place in this episode. I also love it. It's just so many flips. Maybe this time they're necessary. No, no, that's not true. (laughs) That's never possible. So Scott and Isaac crash into each other and they both flash their eyes yellow. I like the idea that it's instinctive, like how an alpha can make a beta shift. That's really cool. I do like that idea. I don't understand why Derek is letting Isaac play lacrosse, though. I mean, he was all over Scott last season. That's true. He he tried with Scott, and then he was like, ah, it's all right. It's it's fine, I guess. Ah. But Isaac does actually listen to Derek. Maybe Isaac proved that he had more control than Scott did. Like, Derek was like, you could lose control. And he was like, no, I got this. And, like, showed him how in control he was. And then the only reason he flashed his eyes is because Scott kind of forced the issue. Or more likely, they just forgot that whole drama from <laughs> They're like, that's over. Forget it. Probably. So while all these shenanigans are going on, the sheriff and other officers walk onto the field looking badass, by the way. Johnny Cage has arrived! (laughs) So the sheriff escorts Isaac off the field, meaning that Isaac is likely a suspect in his father's murder. Isaac still has those out-of-control new werewolf urges, and he's going to be locked up in a cell that's flimsy by werewolf standards during his first full moon. So in their first class of the day, Scott and Stiles learn from Danny that Jackson is in the principal's office talking to the sheriff about the murder because he lives across the street from the Leahy's. So they decide they need to get to the principal's office to find out what Jackson is saying... So they throw some balled up paper at Mr. Harris's head. Sure enough, they get sent to the principal's office. Could they have found a more juvenile way to get sent to the office? I mean, Classic. I know. It's like it, first graders. Yeah, it really is. It really is. But I do love the scene where they point at each other. So they're both get sent. It's right. just super cute. <laughs> right. He's like, who did that? And they're just like, eh, he did. In the principal's office, the sheriff learned that Jackson knew perfectly well how horribly Mr. Leahy abused Isaac, but never said anything because he felt it wasn't his problem. Hey, you know what? It's also not your problem, Jackson. F*** you. You're terrible. 
He truly sucks so much. But the sheriff says that it's funny how the kids who get beat up are the ones who least deserve it and ends the interrogation with that. <laughs> That's such a good line. And then Jackson's face. <laughs> As he slowly realizes it. the implication yeah. there. Mm. Yeah, it's great. The sheriff's like, I can't whip you with my pistol, so I'm going to whip you with my words. <laughs> also, like what Kate said earlier about water stuff, there's a straight up ad for water on the back of the magazine Styles is holding up while he waits to go to the principal's office next. Just says like yeah. H2O. H2O. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> then Scott and Styles go into an awkward meeting with the new principal, Gerard Argent, who brings up Scott's allegedly past relationship with Allison. He also says that one of them, Scott or Styles, needs to take the blame for upsetting Harris and they decide on Styles. And by they, I mean... Gerard and Scott kind of gang up on him, much to Styles' chagrin. Poor Styles. In the hallway, Lydia approaches Jackson and wants to talk about what happened the night formal. Specifically, she wants to thank him for saving her life. Jackson assumes this means she wants to get back together and tells her that's not going to happen. Oh, is Jackson continuing to be the worst? He is. He is the just like, how can I worst. one up the worst? The worst thing I've done today. Oh, I have ideas. And it's like Lydia in this scene is being so mature. She doesn't seem to have that guard up Mm -hmm. that is that we normally see in Lydia, like her body language, her tone of voice. It's very different from what we normally see from her. It feels much more like honest and allowing herself to be mildly vulnerable by saying like, you know, this horrible life changing, nearly life ending thing happened to me and we should talk about it. Yeah, she's being very real. Like in this scene, she's not herself, like you just said. And it's just like, Jackson, come on. Come on, man. Have some compassion for once in your life. I know it's not possible, but Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's his middle name. (laughs) Jackson Compassion Whitmore. But the only thing that makes Jackson's smug assholery acceptable in this episode is the knowledge that he will be disappointed later by his plan not working. I'm going to say one for the Stidia fans out there. Jackson should have just told her that Styles was the one who called him and told him to save her. Then she would leave him alone and it would be true. Absolutely. Yeah, but I feel like Jackson's the sort of character who misremembers the event and says, yes, I saved your life by myself with help from no one. It's not even necessarily that he wants the credit, like, because clearly he doesn't really, but it's just that he's so self-obsessed that he basically deleted Styles from his memory of that sequence of events. Like, yes, I saved her like a big hero and I understand why she wants to get back with me. Everyone wants to get back with me. Even people who have never been with me of all genders. His perception of the world is just so completely filtered through the me, 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 me lens. I I just feel like it wouldn't even occur to him to say that Styles played any role in it. I am the sun that the universe orbits around. (laughs) Do you think that in his head, it's like an Eddie Murphy movie where he just plays all the roles? I do, yes. So Derek picks up Scott after school. Scott says that it's all Derek's fault that Isaac is behind bars, and Derek says he knows, but he needs Scott to understand that things are going to get worse when the police search the Leahy house. Okay, first of all, Scott and Derek's relationship in a nutshell, Scott saying, this is your fault, and Derek saying, I know. Just want to throw that out there. (laughs) But watching the scene, I immediately just started thinking about how this means that Isaac and Derek sat down and Isaac confided all his deepest, darkest secrets in Derek. And that makes my heart all mushy. It's great. Mm. It's just great. I'd like to have seen that scene. Probably. Oh my God, me too. Some tears and Derek would have just hugged him. He's like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. 
Because he would have just watched that scene from Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> you, had, you, you ruined everything, Will. I was just going to say, you, were, you had this like really lovely image and then you were just, he just threw it all In away. true white man fashion, you ruin everything. Oh, hey. God. Hey, someone's got to be the straight white man on this podcast. You're Maybe, the straightest you know. and the whitest. Exactly. It's a, it's a heavy burden, but I carry okay. it. Very I'm well. talking over you. While taking his pills, <laughs> Gerard asks Chris whether they have definitive proof that Isaac is a werewolf. And Chris knows that Gerard will kill Isaac if he does have proof. And he points out that hunters aren't supposed to be committing genocide. Gerard, his response is just, meh, with a shrug of the shoulders. That does seem to be Gerard's way. But also, come on, he dry swallows pills. And that is awful. Sorry, like, Gerard, any- way. Wow. Nice. I like that. I I will say, though, I'm I'm pleased with Chris for calling that what it is, because Gerard doesn't seem like the sort of person that it would be easy to speak out against, like especially right to his face. And Chris is definitely intimidated by him, but he's right here being like, this is not what we do. We don't just murder people for who and what they are. And I I've called Chris a dick many times, but you, I, I say in this case, give him a little credit. Credit where credit's due. I feel like after what happened with Kate, the wool has been pulled from his eyes, so to speak, and he now understands there's a lot of flaws in like his family's actions and like their code and the fact that everyone just straight up ignores the code. Right. Yeah. Like now's not the time to go back to his old ways of willfully ignoring massive red flags. Mm-hmm. In this case, red flags that are in direct violation of the Geneva Convention. That's a history joke. Love it. Allison looks on from the next room. She learned this lurking from Derek. He he teaches how to lurk. <laughs> they say Allison, but she falls over because it's just a cardboard cutout of her because she did learn something from Derek. <laughs> Outside the Whitmore house, Matt drops off the camera Jackson requested, though he expresses some concern about what Jackson is going to be doing with it. Are you stalking Allison Argent? Because if so, that spot is taken, my dude, by me. (laughs) Yeah, and Jackson has the scariest look on his face in the scene, but like with a popped collar. People just don't know how to recognize red flags in Beacon Hills, so. I like the fact that he's like, ugh, I would never make something as like mundane as a sex tape. This is for something way cooler than that. Right? He's like, a sex tape? How pedestrian. How common. (laughs) (laughs) what all the surfs do (laughs) and matt Matt is just like that was actually the least creepy option i could come up with so now i'm more concerned yes matt should have honestly just been like he's gonna take this back right (laughs) pretend i wasn't here and nope right out of this situation yes absolutely at the Leahy house scott learns that derek doesn't know who killed mr Leahy either He asks why Derek trusts that Isaac didn't do it, and Derek says he trusts his senses. He couldn't do that when he was younger with Kate. Oh. That's rough, but no, he had to become an alpha to do that. Also, he was young and in love. Calm down. Oh, I am sadness. (laughs) Derek lets on that he saw Scott's embarrassing display on the lacrosse field earlier. Scott asks if it looked that bad, and Derek says yes patting Scott's shoulder. Derek is just the slightest, slightest, slight bit more touchy-feely this season. I feel like it's subtle because he does not like to touch, but he does a couple 
mildly comforting pet 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 pets this season <laughs> i feel like it's because he's starting to get his own pack and he knows he has to like do the reassurance with like the tactile touching what yeah makes it good. he tries good yeah my 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 headcanon is that that kind of like tactile reassurance is really important to werewolves because they're pack animals you know so it makes sense that they would need that kind of like he doesn't alpha good but he tries. You, you have to give him that. Gold star for trying. He tries and, good. You know, and I also wanted to point out that I feel like he chooses his betas based on who needed it the most and not based on who's the best for him strategically. At least what we have seen so far with Isaac. I mean, Isaac is like kind of skinny and lanky and very emotionally troubled. But Derek picks him because he needs the bite. That's true. Derek's right at the beginning of building his pack. And based on Isaac alone, he seems to be choosing people whose lives would be improved by the bite. Right. Styles is the only good strategic pick of all the people we know. And Danny. Danny could probably do it. Yeah, he's so level-headed. He'd be a really good addition. But most of the others are way too emotional. That's what you get when you only go after teens. Well, that's all that's available in Beacon Hills. Yeah, just teens and old people. No one has any siblings. <laughs> exactly. Gerard and Chris tell Allison they want to talk to her about Lydia. Meanwhile, Derek takes Scott to the basement where Mr. Leahy has a six-foot freezer. Inside, the freezer is covered with bloody scratches. <sighs> I have a great picture of this uh, freezer from when we were working on season 3A. If I can find it, I'll put it on Instagram. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. Styles and Allison talk on the phone after Harris finally lets Styles out of detention. Allison reports that Chris and Gerard asked her questions about Lydia and how she was bitten by Peter. They also sent a hunter out dressed as a sheriff's deputy to find Isaac at the station. The hunter was carrying a box marked with a carving that represents Wolfsbane, which Styles realizes means they're going to try to kill Isaac tonight. I really like Styles and Allison. We should have gotten more scenes with them together. Not romantically, but I like the scenes they did have together. I thought they had a cute dynamic. They are an interesting pair. It's a good friendship. Yeah. yeah. Scott tells Derek that if he helps him with the Isaac situation, he has to stop turning people into werewolves. <laughs> Derek doesn't see the problem when they're willing. Scott asked whether Derek told Isaac about the Argents, and Derek says yes. And Isaac still wanted the bite because the bite is a gift. It's a gift, Scott. We're brothers now. Scott says that makes Isaac an idiot. Scott would know. Wow. That's a <laughs> pot and kettle situation. Derek retorts that Scott is the idiot actually dating an Argent. And if he knows, how long will it be until the other Argents figure it out? Yeah, how long until they figure it out about Kate? I mean, Allison. I definitely said Allison. Oh. He projects. that. That's, that's how he does it. A lot of projecting going on. Derek pats Scott's shoulder again and tells him that if he joins Derek's pack, he'll learn how to use all of his senses and gain control even during the full moon. Scott says that he won't join Derek's pack because it would cost him Allison. Derek answers that he'll lose Allison either way. Scott still resists being in Derek's pack, but confirms that he wants to help save Isaac because Isaac is innocent. That and their lacrosse bros. Derek is poor Derek is still trying to get Scott in his pack. I mean, he wants him in the pack so bad. Also, I feel like he's not wrong about losing Allison. It, it It's inevitable, you know? I mean, they're the star-crossed lovers, you know? They're, they're an archetype. Hey, yeah. he just started reading Romeo and Juliet, and he feels like it's all going to work out for those crazy kids. 
Yeah, you Absolutely. listened to the Taylor Swift song. He was like, I talked to your dad, blah, 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 blah. Everything's fine. I don't know the lyrics to that song, but I, I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's an I talked to your dad in there. And it's like, ooh, some kids are going to get that question wrong on their sophomore English test. Yeah. Also, Derek needs to calm down because Scott does not want to be his pet. <laughs> Pack, Scott, damn it. <laughs> Those two words are different. <laughs> sure. So in his bedroom, Jackson admires himself in the mirror before setting up the camera to film himself in his bed that night. My God, Jackson is so horny for himself. He's imagining watching those tapes over and over and I'm sure masturbating furiously. <laughs> <laughs> He's gone full Patrick Bateman over there. Yeah, yeah very, to- very American psycho energy for sure. I know they couldn't do this because of MTV, but I feel like Jackson would sleep naked. Definitely. Hundo. Absolutely. And he might have like a mirror above his bed. He, he like definitely everywhere. masturbates in front of the mirror like Ilana on Broad City. Allison heads off the hunter outside the sheriff's station and shoots him in the leg, then disappears into the night. Yep. Nailed it. Yeah. She was very cool doing that. Yep. And you could tell that she knew. She had that little smile like, like I bet that looked Dope from the outside. And it did. Allison heads back to the Leahy house where Scott insists on being chained into the freezer to keep him from going moon crazy. This is a f-ing terrible idea. Like, why are they doing this here? Uh, because of the freezer. But No, that doesn't answer any questions. <laughs> but like, just chain him up in his own house? Like, why don't they just wrap the chains around him like Houdini style? I mean, what if a police investigator was like, I'm going to go look at the house of the victim and also the house of the son that we think killed him? Okay, that's cool. That would have been great tension if Allison had to interact with a cop while Scott was downstairs chained in the freezer. Yeah, that would have been good. Derek and Styles drive to the sheriff's station. Weird that they don't show how they ended up in the car together because I want to see that. Yeah, they don't. Like, did, was he just like, did he just roll up to, to Derek's place and... And be like, get in, loser. We're going to the sheriff's station. Like, how did this happen? No, when you say yeah. Derek's place, do you mean like the burnt down house or the subway <laughs> entrance? Oh, I guess yeah. the burnt down No, house. I mean, Derek had been at the uh, Leahy house. So he probably, he would have had to drive by there and like grab him. Or maybe Derek yeah. was just like hitchhiking. Style saw Derek walking down the street, humming the end music to the Incredible Hulk show. Da-da-da-da. No. Anyway. <laughs> Derek says that he's going to distract the deputy at the front desk of the sheriff's station. Styles physically stops him with a hand on his chest. Derek glares at him until he drops his hand. Yeah, I love this moment. First of all, because... Because you're a Derek fan? (laughs) Yes, obviously. But first of all, because Styles' reaction is priceless. How he kind of like, he's like got his arm over Derek's chest and then he's slowly realizing as we're looking on that he hath made a huge mistake here by touching Derek without permission because that does not do. And Derek communicates his displeasure pure, purely with eyebrows as he is wont to do. And it's just great. It's it's a great moment. And they just, you know, as always have a great dynamic. I guess the whole tactile thing does not extend to Styles. I think it's because Styles initiated it. Mm. Because when we do see Derek like, allowing a little bit of touchy-feeliness it's he's in control of it like he's patting scott's shoulder 
or well I guess we haven't really seen much of the like tactile reassurance with Isaac yet but like he's the one initiating it and I feel like he prefers it that way it's gotta be Derek's idea right he's like a cat it has to be the cat's (laughs) idea he would not like that comparison he would not probably not it's Kate's head canon that Derek does not like cats yes it is and I'll tell you why oh Uh, because if you die in in a house with your dog your dog will mourn you. Your dog will go full, like where the red fern grows, lying down next to your body, crying sadly and thinking about Aww. all the good times you had together. If you die in your house with your cat, your cat, and this is true, your cat will eat your face. Styles asks how Derek is going to distract her, but Derek doesn't respond, apparently thinking the answer is obvious and goes without saying. Which it is. Styles guesses that Derek is going to punch her in the face. In Derek, says that, <laughs> Derek says that he's thinking about punching Styles in the face. I only do that to the boys I like. <laughs> I oh my God, that. it happened again. <laughs> he was just too abused with his own joke. Derek says that he's thinking about punching Styles in the face. I only do that to the boys that I like. I mean, what? <laughs> I'm surprised that Styles thinks he needs anything more than being hot, given the whole Danny situation last season. I love in this episode when Derek actually does distract the deputy styles is so mad that the plan works so well it's awesome (laughs) while derek distracts the deputy styles sneaks behind the front desk only to come face to face with the wounded hunter who wields a syringe filled with wolfsbane okay buddy that should have been a dart gun you're going up against a monster and you're just gonna like jab it in the neck you have to be like six inches from the monster with that syringe oh god get your head out of your ass (laughs) <laughs> that's why he's henchman, not lead guy. That's not true. Argent. That that's probably true. Gerard was like, "All right, who's like expendable? Who's expendable?" And they were like, "Hey, where's that guy who had made that?" Larry, uh, get here, <laughs> get here. Where's the douchebag with the with the where's the douchebag from the previous season who made the joke about burying a bone outside? Is he not available? Is he dead? Okay, well, let's get the other guy. Who's hey, the Larry? Where's this guy? red shirt? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's a Star Trek reference, kids. Watch it. Styles shouldn't have looked down at the hunter's wounded leg or the syringe. He easily could have said he was there to visit his dad, you know, the sheriff. Which might have slightly deterred the hunter. I don't know, but it would have been a better option than just like blatantly telegraphing that he knows something yeah. is wrong here. It was yeah. very similar to the, oh my God, I'm going to die moment from season one with Peter. Which was oh, also right. excellent. Yes. Yeah. I mean, all style scenes are excellent. Yeah, true. Especially the ones that also contain Derek. Realizing that Styles knows something, the hunter drags him away. Poor Styles, always being dragged places. Well, that's what happens when you only weigh 97 pounds. <laughs> Just Tail get drugged away. Fragile bone. So fragile. Back at the Leahy house, a lizard creature attacks Allison, causing Scott to try desperately to escape the freezer. Allison, my password and username. <laughs> <laughs> So we're kind of intercutting between these two confrontations. At the sheriff's station, Isaac attacks the hunter uh, while he's in a fit of moon craziness. Again, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. He then turns his sights on Styles, but Derek comes in and roars before Isaac can hurt him. Protect your Styles. Poor cowering Charmin. Aww. Styles asks Derek how he did that, and Derek coolly responds that he's the alpha. Styles looks begrudgingly impressed. I have the weirdest boner. Yet again, mark me down as scared and horny. What this show should have been called, or at least the ship name of Styles and Derek. Scared and horny with an ampersand. 
This mm-hmm. Thursday at nine, a new episode of Scared and Horny. Who will be scared? Who will be horny? Tune in to find out. And I would. <laughs> I would tune in. <laughs> Back at the Leahy house, Allison pulls a knife on the creature and yells, come on! And that's our Kate Argent moment for this episode, even though, you know, she's not even technically in it. Oh, so good. It's a great callback. Scott finally escapes the freezer and helps Allison fight off the creature. With more unnecessary flips. Unnecessary, but visually very striking. Always very visually pleasing. The next morning, Jackson can't wait to check the tape on the camera, but finds nothing. According to the recording, nothing happened at all over the previous night. The camera just says, you're an asshole, Jackson, which is so weird. Forgot to press record. (laughs) That actually would have been really funny. And the episode (laughs) ends there. Yeah, that would have been great. That would have been great. But I think this is a great ending to this episode because we're doing all this building up to the full moon and Jackson's going to turn. And then we have that lizard creature, chupacabra monster running around. And you're like, that's totally Jackson. But then he watches the playback on the tape and he didn't turn. Like literally nothing happened. Also, he doesn't move when he sleeps. I find that very weird. But I just love how this episode ends where the audience and Jackson believe something and then that thing doesn't happen. And it's like, but how? And then cut to black. Executive producer Jeff Davis. You're like, oh, Jeff Davis, you got us again. You'll just have to keep watching if you want to know how. Making us tune in next week to Scared and Horny. (laughs) This is a fun episode. It is. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Shapeshifted. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler-free for all of the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. It's led the parents of Beacon Hills to the unfortunate conclusion that you may no longer be suited to the position of school principal. You can't fire me. True, but we can torture you. All right, Wolfies, now we're going to jump over to our interview with Russell Mulcahy, the director of this episode. Let's have a listen. So, Russell, after the success of season one, did you and Jeff want to try anything new for season two, like new cameras, new production techniques, anything like that? I think... um... I think we 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 wanted to, we wanted to get the the wolf run down. No, there's one thing we wanted to get right. We wanted to get the wolf run down. Um, you know, the, when he's leaping through through the forest on all fours, and uh, we couldn't afford CG or anything, so we we experimented quite successfully, I think, with um, a stunt guy on a on a wire being pulled very fast, and he was going very very fast. The camera's going past trees with him. And quite effective, the fact that it's uh, not CG. It actually looks quite quite remarkable. remarkable. We didn't do it too often. It's mainly in, I think, episode one, and, uh, and that's about it, really, because it took a long time to set up, mm-hmm. and um, we were restricted in whatever, many uh, things. But it was worth trying, and um, we were happy with that. We also got to... We knew Atlanta a bit more by, that, by the second season. We'd, we'd troop the land and uh, trek, trek the land. and uh, So we wanted to explore more locations and sort of grittier, unusual locations. And so a lot of the stories were written around, oh, that's a cool spot and this is a great building. And uh, and so we, we, we wanted to visually expand it. And, and Atlanta had a wealth of uh, good locations. That's awesome. It, this, this season does feel a little bit more urban. With yes. a lot of like overpasses and tunnels. A little, 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 little grittier. Yeah. A little, little bit more urban, absolutely. 
It looks great though. I mean, obviously it always looks great, but it is, it is wonderful seeing just kind of a different side of Beacon Hills and yeah. uh, kind of expanding the world a little bit. So that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. It, it gets, it gets a little away from Mayberry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Is that why you guys moved away from the Hale house and into something more like the abandoned railway station? One, yeah, but I think we, we, even, even though I think there's a little Hale house in season two, I think we, we, we basically, the, the set had been demolished, the exterior set, which was basically a facade on an old bar. But that had been pulled down. It may have been damaged or something, but I think we decided to, that Derek needed a more sort of secretive hideout, um, mm. something a bit more unusual. I think we'd filmed the house to death in season one and maybe we got a little bored of it. And so we just basically kept one wall for some flashback sequences and like the sequence with, when, um, when Peter Hale comes back. Mm. Um, and that was basically one wall we just had set up with the fireplace. Very cool. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it was one of my favourite sets uh, was the train set in the, very cool in the abandoned warehouse or whatever. Uh, it was an extraordinary location. And then we put the train in it. and But it was unfortunate because I think by about episode, as you know, I think you don't see it much after about episode five or seven or what, maybe episode seven, because someone found way up in the corner, away from everyone, a tiny speck of asbestos. Oh, not good. No, it could have been corralled and sealed off, and, but they decided. So that set was never filmed again. It was, um, it was very sad. It was like, oh, my God. The best set ever. It did have a great look. It was a wonderful yeah, it was cool. addition. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, we, we filmed in there for weeks and weeks and weeks, and no one, no one got sick. So Yeah, very Definitely. good. Do you have a favorite episode from season two? I, I I I like bits of a lot of episodes. I, I mean, I like episode two, and I also like the the episode with the gay club. What's that one? Friend um, or frenemy? Yeah, frenemy. I think it's frenemy. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, because I think also one thing that happened in season two is that we explored sexualities a little bit more, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a little bit more open and willing to sort of um, look, you know, explore those sort of those avenues which was liberating and good. Absolutely. Yes. I think that was a really cool scene. I was actually had a question about the club scene. Um, wow. It was definitely really fun to watch. What was it like filming a scene with so many extras? Is it difficult to direct scenes like this in which people are meant to be dancing, but obviously music can't be played like in a real club? Sure. Um, it, it can be. I mean, luckily I, I had done a similar thing a number of times, but mainly in a, in a, in a, in a show called Queer as Folk. Um, I did like the three-hour pilot um, for Queerest Folk, and uh, and then some subsequent episodes after that. But um, and they they were gigantic crowds in gay clubs, and yeah. So I was I had a sort of experience of how to sort of handle that, you know. That's awesome. So it was a lot of, a lot of fun. I brought some of the Queerest Folk attitude in there. <laughs> Fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it looks great. It's it's all the the couple of club scenes we get, but also not only the club thing, but the whole interaction with um, uh, Scott and Styles. I think when 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 some guys checking out Scott or buys him a drink, mm-hmm. and yeah. Styles' reaction is just it's, it's just hilarious. It's, it's yeah. amazing. I, yeah, I love that bit. I very like, funny. It's very, it's very warm, very positive. It's it's good. Mm-hmm. 
How far ahead of shooting did you know how season two would end? I think we, I think we knew pretty, pretty much by the time we started shooting, by the last, first production meeting, we sort of knew generally where it was going to go. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. And we didn't quite know the, <laughs> the events were the happen, that would happen in the finale behind the camera. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll get to that later. <laughs> but you always knew that Matt was going to be the one, like, controlling the canima and everything like that? Yes. I mean, yeah, but we sort of kept that sort of quiet. Mm. Only, only a few of us knew. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, it, was, nice. it was a big shock. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. And he didn't even know it for a while. Oh. Uh, yeah. I mean, to become a villain in a show, is that's pure gold, you know. Right. Definitely. <laughs> Being the hero. <laughs> that's hard work. Yes. <laughs> you got a lot of dialogue. You're a villain. You just got to go there and just be creepy and kick ass. <laughs> and have, yes. And have, a, and have a couple of great lines. <laughs> there yeah. you go. That's all it takes. Yeah. It's fantastic. Something about fava beans and whatever. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Did introducing a new supernatural villain for season two change how y'all went about telling the story in any way? Uh, I think I think it opened up at more avenues um, instead of having just uh, sort of a hairy guy running around. It just added, it added that sort of mystique, that sort of the, uh, the the mythological sort of mystique about it, and uh, so you, you could you could play with imagery a little bit more. Um, I mean, I think one of my one of my favourite shots of the show in the, is when um, when Jackson swallows the snake. Um, so yeah. the CG snake and the CG <sighs> CG is quite quite good. John oh yeah, Gross, John Gross did a wonderful job there. And now I I just really the shot turned out better than I thought it would. It was quite fun. It is great. It's an amazing. Scene. I, I remember we were dolling up saying Jackson, okay, you're still swallowing it, still swallowing it, still swallowing it. <laughs> okay, and swap. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> the things that you have to do for your art. <laughs> I know we've talked about uh, the club scenes and how much fun those were. Did you have a favorite scene to film in season two, or a scene that was especially fun to film? One of my favorite scenes is with Dan, Daniel Sharman and and um, and uh, his dad and uh, at the dinner table in episode two. And it's just such a wonderfully tense scene. Um, yes. The actor playing the dad. John Wesley Ship. John Wesley Ship. Yeah, mm-hmm. extraordinary. Extraordinary. Yeah. And the chemistry between the two of them, the tension on the set was just palatable. It was uh it just worked so well. It's one of those scenes where you you rehearse it and then when the cameras roll, it just even it goes up another couple of notches. Um oh yeah. It just, it just was great. And then it goes on to the wonderful scene that Jonathan Hall lit that the alleyway in the rain, oh, uh, where the dad comes awesome. out and uh yeah, again, that just was magic. The actor was not too happy because it was winter and he had to be in that rain for like six hours. Oh, um, wow. Rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that added to the sort of the, the stress level of the scene. So that, 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 those, those two scenes were, were, were great. And I also liked the interrogation scene with Jackson in the rave episode. Mm. Um, that is such yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I like that sort of. Um, you know, Quebecian um, sort of looking into the camera. It's very sort of like, uh, yeah, it, had, it, had, it was very much a homage to sort of Quebec in, in a way. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I absolutely love that scene. And Bill O'Brien really kills it. And I was just wondering, can it be difficult to get a strong performance from an actor when they're having to like look directly into the camera? It can be. It can be, yes. Um, because it's, uh, there's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite uh, unemotional. You're looking into a bit of glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but you, if you're dealing with an actor as talented as uh, Dylan O'Brien... Um, he just he just can turn it on. Um, no, we we listen. I think at the, I, I, at the audition we knew he was a talent, and uh, every episode you, it just you just realised he was how much of a talent he, he was or is. That's awesome. Definitely. Uh, what made you choose to use like a POV? Like, when do you determine a POV shot is good for something like that versus just a normal shot? You're talking about the shot of light looking at Dylan and... Yeah, yeah, because I feel like it's kind of like a POV shot from Jackson's point of view as he's being interrogated. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it just seemed to be, I just wanted that, that complete connection between mm-hmm. him and, um, and Jackson. Um, uh, and it just seemed the simplest, best way of doing it, apart from doing other regular coverage. I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to just heighten the sort of the surreal quality of that scene. Yeah. That's it's awesome. Such an amazing shot. Yeah. Definitely one of my favorites from season two. Yeah. It's it was, really cool. It did work well. It's very, um, very much like Sounds of the Lambs with what Jonathan Demi did, where like to make like Clarice, like to get across from the novel, like the unsettlingness that Clarice had being this woman in a very, like an all male profession. They just had people looking directly into the camera. Right. Yes. To get that, and Jonathan Demi loves doing stuff like that, and that's yeah, what I yeah. felt like in that scene where it's like, "This is I want to look. I need to. I don't yeah. want you looking right in my face, Styles. <laughs> I, I want." So, um, yeah, no, it's it's awesome. Yeah. So cool. It can, it can it can work incredibly well, and it can like be very self conscious and like, you know, just uh, be a gimmick. Um, mm. And I don't think that that one doesn't appear to be a gimmick. It seems to. No. Go with the, the feel of the scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, such a good one. There's a lot of really intense scenes for uh, Holland Roden in season two. Right. What was it like directing her as Lydia when Lydia's dealing with all these like hallucinations and the constant confusion around her about not knowing what's happening in Beacon Hills? <laughs> um, uh, I mean, if you're sort of behind the cameras on the, on the table, the whole thing looks like a hallucination. <laughs> uh, and uh, we had a very special relationship and, uh, and and she again is an extraordinary young actress um, and she just enjoys odd stuff she likes being odd um, and she, she really gets off on it fantastic she's yeah. so amazing on the yeah, show and yeah. I really love getting to see more of Lydia and the different sides of her in season two and yeah Holland just did an incredible job yeah, I, I saw some. Um, I, I was speaking to her recently because I just saw her in uh, the Escape Room. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm really oh, yeah. excited to see that Escape Room too. Oh, she's wonderful in it. And uh, I saw her a couple months ago, and then I saw her in the film. And I just talked to her the other day um, and congratulated her. And then she sent me some stills of the, of a new character. She she's doing another film, and she sent me some stills in incredible sort of '60s outfit, looking like a model from one of those '60s Vogue magazines, smoking a cigarette. Because she doesn't. I mean, you, you can't get you can't get within when when we were filming. You no one who was smoking couldn't go within a hundred feet of her. Oh really? Yeah, but so that's how dedicated she is. I said, my God, she's yeah. I know there's a lot of smoking in this film. <laughs> 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 yeah, so she's uh, 
Wow, yeah, that's that's. I, I was in, I was impressed. I went, damn, girl, <laughs> you're a real actress. Russell, what was it like working with Michael Hogan, who brings Gerard to such terrifying life? Yeah, uh, he's um, he's a consummate actor. He's uh, he's uh, quite big, and uh, um, but it, it was right for the character, you know. Uh, he 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 does command the scene. And I think one of my favorite scenes is um, uh, quite a few, but I mean, he's actually, it's really his introduction that's when he's at the at the funeral. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Just walking up and it's got people yeah. whispering and very sort of like godfathery. And, uh, <laughs> awesome. and it's quite cool. It's quite cool. But his scenes with JR were just really powerful, I thought. You know, they, yeah. Those two really, yes. their eyes, just, yeah, it was fun to shoot. It's really we interesting. Good, we, had good, we had a good cast. Lovely cast. Yeah. Definitely. It was, great to, it was great to bring, it, it was wonderful to bring Peter back, um, Ian Bowen, because uh, he he's uh, he brings a, a, a special quality. He's, um, his, his sense of uh, dark humour is quite wonderful. I think that scene he's with um, Holland when he comes back, he's all burned. She's kissing the guy, I don't know, in the mirror, and all of a sudden he's, she's with the burnt um, Peter. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, you know, you're a strong girl. You might only have some years of aggressive, horrible dreams, but you'll think you'll be fine. At the end of season two, after the final episode, I got sick. I, I got a, some sort of virus. Maybe it was from the train station. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, seriously, yeah. And somebody sent me to hospital. And, uh, and so wow. I was in hospital for like four days. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, so so uh, so Tim had to actually finish that episode. Um, I was fine, but it was it did knock me out for like four days, and so Tim finished it, finished the episode. Yeah, I was going to ask the process of co-directing, but I guess yeah, that was someone yeah, who had it's, like it's the choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was really easy. I was, <laughs> I, was <laughs> I was in a hospital on drip, and uh, <laughs> oh. but it was so nice. All the cast turned up. It was so sweet. Oh, uh. yeah, it was really nice. Yeah. That, lifted, that that was the cure for my sickness. Aww. I bounced out of bed and said, I'm cured. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to hear that, you know, everyone cared so much about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a family. And that family carried on, I think, through the six seasons, I think. You know? And then, yeah, it definitely seems like there's a lot of stuff. Like, people we've talked to still work together on different projects. Sure, sure, sure. We get together socially still, you know. We heard that there was possibly two endings shot for the uh, finale in season two. Is that true? And if so, could you talk about it? If you can't, we understand. <laughs> no, no, no. It's only because I wasn't there for the end. I didn't, oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do the finale. That's, oh, that's um, right. So, <laughs> maybe that's why there's two. I, I don't know. Um, what is the end? I forget. Uh, so with Jackson, you know, kind of being like reborn as like a proper werewolf and, um, We'd heard that there was like a version where he just dies and doesn't come back. Right. Well, you know, you know what? That, I don't know about that scene. That is, that could be possibly true. But there was another with Daniel Sharman, mm-hmm. and in the train station set with Derek's hideout, there was a, there was a moment where Daniel and his or his agent wasn't quite sure whether Daniel wanted to carry on in the, um, the show. They either had another offer or a biggest thing, or well, I don't, I'm not sure what it was. So what we had to do, there was a, there's a particular scene where there's Derek 
Scott and uh, and Daniel Isaac, and um, they form a pact to to do something. We did two versions. We did one where Isaac says, "No, I don't want anything to do with this," and he walks off up the stairs and leaves. Huh. I'm, I'm I'm done with you guys. And then the, wow. another episode, we said, "Yep, let's go, let's go do it." <laughs> and and we didn't know until the next morning which which one we were going to use. We didn't oh, know whether wow. he was going to walk up the stairs and say, come on. <laughs> or, no, I'm in there, in there with you. And he, he did, he said, he came back. Oh, wow. And he came That's back. That's really interesting. Yeah. Tree. Yeah. That is yeah it was fun. It was weird doing it. It was like, okay, that could be it. Okay. Yeah. Right. It, was like, it was like, it's like one of those, those alternative movies, or those movies where you have like you can switch and change the way the oh, movie Oh, right. Goes. Yeah. 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 It's always fascinating to hear about, yeah, like the challenges you guys have to work around, like an actor having to depart or something. Right. I'm glad we got to see more of Isaac, though. He was a really compelling character. All right. Yeah, lo- lovely, lovely actor, lovely guy. Yeah. Speaking of lovely actors, and we talked about this just a little bit, but uh, John Wesley Ship is incredibly intense as Isaac's father. And in the dinner scene we previously talked about, he just explodes and is terrifying. Mm. And what was it like? actually diving into that scene and creating something that's very oh, like I, a real I, trauma. I, I love, I love those scenes. I mean, I just, you, you live for the, those scenes is um, uh, where, where, where it's palatable, the, the drama, the sense in the, in the room when it's been filmed. Um, it's just the, your hairs in the back of your neck go up and uh, you go, yeah, this is, this is good. This is good. This is working. Yeah. It, it, it was just magic. Well, well written, well acted. Um, well yeah. directed, so. and well, of course, well directed. <laughs> <laughs> Beautifully okay. the, the set dressing was fantastic. Well, it was a terrifying scene, and yeah. it did yeah. raise the hairs on the back of my neck. That, was that episode crazy. two? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's episode two, right before they all race out into the rain, and the cannon kills Dad. <laughs> and also the again, talk about personal things. Um, that night, just before we finished, just before we started shooting that. I heard one of my, my best one of my best friends in Australia had been climbing a roof, put up Christmas decorations, and had fallen off the ladder. I think he was drunk, <laughs> but fallen off the ladder, and um, I can only laugh because he, he survived. He's all right. Oh. Uh, he fell oh. <laughs> and he went into a coma. Oh, wow! Uh, and they, they didn't think he was going to make it, and so I filmed that whole scene like, you know. So the, that, the drama of that scene helped me sort of shake off the, uh, the trauma that I was going through emotionally, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. So it helped me, actually. It was like, yeah, yeah, kick you back. Fucking oh, oh, my gosh. Oh, oh God. Smash more shit. <laughs> so a lot of different characters, including Isaac's dad, end up playing a villainous role in the second season. There's Peter, the Canima, Matt, Gerard, Victoria, Allison to some degree, Derek and the betas sometimes. So how did you and the Teen Wolf crew go about telling the more complicated story of season two? I think we just offered up a bigger canvas in season two. Um, and so and so there, there was the ability to bring in all those um, uh, different sort of qualities and, uh, and and angles. One of my favorite villains was the, was the um, is it Victoria, the mother? Oh yeah. Yes. She's so good. And um, I think uh, she has some of my favourite scenes. And she's at the uh, the wardrobe and she's pulling clothes and choosing dresses for her. 
and she's yeah. up the camera and horrible light on her. And I, I just, I said to her, just, just channel Angela Lansbury from the Manchurian Candidate. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, and, I love that. And she, and she did. And it was just wonderful. Oh. And then I think she just carried it all the way through. It was like uh, sometimes you, you find that right thing to just, you know, for someone to grasp onto. But it was, um, she, uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite films. What made you and Jeff finally decide to do an opening title sequence for season two? Because it's amazing. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. And then, then, then they carried on throughout season, changing every season. Um, I think, um, I think Pre MTV gave us some money. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. They, they said, "Why don't we do?" It? Yeah, I think it was like, yeah, uh, there was no money for it in, in season one, but uh, yeah, uh, and it was, it, it was terrific. Are there any other memories you have from shooting season two that you'd like to share with us that we haven't covered yet? We had some fun times uh, filming. Um, there was there was a scene where Jackson's up in his bedroom and he's looking at he's meant to have recorded himself, yeah, suspecting mm-hmm. that, but the tape's been wiped by whatever, yeah. So um, and he gets really angry. He throws the camera, and the mother was meant to come to the doorway and say, "Are you okay, Jackson?" But the mother, who's cast, was she was only she was in an earlier a season, maybe. Six, maybe a season one, but she was only using as, as an extra. She was only as an extra. Lovely lady. But just a uh, walk on just to be in the background. Like, that's, that's Jackson's mum over there. But so then she had to come and do the scene. And so we had her in the background and there she was. But they had her in a bright red jumper and big blonde hair and everything. And she, it just didn't work. Christian decided, he said, he said why, why is she, maybe she's downstairs and she calls out. So you just hear her now. Yeah. So he, he, he was quite a... Um, um, a, a, a benefit to have there. Wonderful. Good sense of humor, Christian. Good, good as the school principal, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. A lot of fun there. <laughs> a lot of fun. Yeah. What about the Kadama scenes? What was it like filming those? There was this, the suit worked really when we could do the CG tail. I always felt when you saw the tail, uh, it really brought that creature alive. And, and there was a few CG shots where we had it running on the roof and up, up pillars and all that. I see that sort of quite good is the, is the fight with him and Derek in the uh, under the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's running up there and doing shit and whatever. Um, that's, that's quite fun. Again, we still had a bit of CG budget and we could do the tail and things like that. And, um, but that's why it needed a little bit more money to make it work a lot, you know, really well. So we had to do things like just show shadows. And um, Again, one of my favourite shots of the Canima is, I don't know what episode it is, maybe it's uh, it's the one where the the couple in the caravan um, having an argument, the guy goes out of the caravan, and the wife sees the guy and the tail wraps around the guy and the guy's <laughs> pulled up into the sky. Yeah. Uh, that's a creepy shot. Yeah. Very. Yeah, that, that's, I think, when the camera works the, the best is when you saw, probably saw. Or the other great shot is when the camera's next to the boy and he's got the camera wraps its tail around his leg. Um, there's some shots I think the camera is spectacular. Yeah. And uh, some less so. I love the scene in Abomination whenever you start to see the shadow of the camera before it actually appears. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. very creepy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
we um, I remember we did uh, quite a, few, a little few reshoots on that whole thing because a lot of the times it was either too bright or whatever. And so then we said we, we decided to do more shadows and it's a little, there was nothing to hide behind there. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you had to choose... Would you rather be in Scott's pack or Derek's pack? Uh, well, probably probably Derek's. Because um, yeah, I, I just don't want to hang around a bunch of kids. <laughs> fair enough. Very fair. <laughs> yeah. oh. It's great. Good answer. Um, so if Teen Wolf were to be re- rebooted or to have a spinoff, what kind of story would you want to tell? Oh, I think, I think you'd have to bring in... Um, Zombies and vampires. I mean, you might as well just, you know, just go for it, yeah? Yeah. 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 Be a lot o- of fun. O- open up the gates of hell. <laughs> <laughs> and just, like, go for it, you know? Nice. Yeah. Why I'd not? love to see that. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. Be fun. So, Russell, the last time we talked, you were working on a new screenplay. Have there been any developments with that? It's nearly finished. Very much a warped piece of genre. Nice. Um, and, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I'll, I'll let you read it as soon as it's finished. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank That's you. Exciting. Is this, now, are you going to direct this as well? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I wrote it for me. Awesome. I'm selfish. Uh, hey, that's wonderful. No, no, we need more Russell Mulcahy material oh, in the world. That's, that's... The world. Yes. Oh. Yeah. No, no. Nice. Yeah. Fantastic. But the pandemic had some good things about it, you know? Some so, silver lines, I'll, yeah. I'll say, I'll say Herman Wright. Well, all right, Russell. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down. And, it's a pleasure. And, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Love, love to see you all. Yes, no, it was Definitely wonderful to, to see you too. You all right, well, listen, good luck with it and uh, all, all the best, yeah? That was another great interview with director Russell Mulcahy. We hope we get to talk to him again, but now we have some alpha stuff to talk about. Specifically, Scott's treatment of Isaac after he learns about Isaac's abusive father. So this is the episode where we find out that... Isaac has been horribly abused by his father, which just makes it so shitty when later on we have Scott throwing him against a wall in a moment of what's supposed to be like lighthearted, comedic, just funny shenanigans shenanigans between characters that we love and admire and just totally forget that, oh yeah, his father used to throw things at glass at his head. And Scott knows for a fact Isaac was locked in a freezer. And we also see Derek throw a glass at him later as well, echoing the opening scene in this episode. But that one I can forgive. And I know I'm a Derek apologist, but um, (laughs) it's the way it's played with Scott is for laughs. With Derek, it's not played for laughs. Derek does it because he's trying in his own very much up Derek way to protect Isaac. He's, that, like, you know, that's true. You, like whenever you have in like sappy movies where the wild animal needs to be released back into their own environment and you got the kid throwing like a stone being like, go on, get out of here. I never <laughs> loved you anyway. That's <laughs> what's happening with the glass and Isaac. <laughs> so Derek is mimicking Isaac's abuser to get Isaac to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that is actually what's happening. That's not just Calissa's interpretation. That's the actual scene. No, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do see your point because, it, like, Derek is a fail wolf, 
but it's definitely not played for laughs. Like there's no point in that scene with Derek throwing the glass at him where you're like, ah, see what he did there? Like nobody feels Hilarious. that way. No, Styles isn't in the scene. That's the only time like there's anything lighthearted with Derek. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good point. Yeah, and I feel like in a way that's another example of how sometimes the show lets Scott off the hook for things. And to some degree, Allison, too, like, you know, at the end of this season, she stabs Isaac a shitload of times, even though he didn't do anything to her and never has to say sorry or even oops, my bad or anything. (laughs) Love means never having to say you're sorry. I hate that expression. That's like so. Later on, when they're totally, you know, banging, he she apologized. When Derek goes about things the wrong way. For the most part, the show holds him accountable. When Scott does it, a lot of times they just don't address it. Or like in the scene that you're talking about, Kalissa, it's just played off like it's not a big deal. You have Melissa popping in and being like, guys, you heal, but the house doesn't. Stop destroying the infrastructure. And it's like so funny and cute and stuff. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, should you be doing that though? Like two seasons ago, we had some very upsetting backstory that makes this actually really troubling. That's what I have to say about Isaac being introduced as like a beast. On the subject of the Leahy house, why does the Kanama go there after Isaac's already been taken to the jail and his father is dead? No idea. I have no clue because obviously Matt, you know, dad, 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 Matt. Matt, Mad dad. Bad dad. (laughs) Bad dad Leahy uh, was like the coach of the swim team. Yeah. Was the coach of the swim team. And Matt drowned um, because everyone was shit to him. And he drowned. And so that's why he killed. Jason Voorhees style. Jason Voorhees style. So that's why he is killing everyone. Because all the people he kills this season, they're all the people who were there and in some way involved. And so Bad Dad Leahy is already dead. So there's really no reason for the Kanama to go there other than it was exciting for it was the, exciting for the story. Because it, it's just one of those things where if you, if you have a character who's got to be locked up somewhere, especially your main character, well, they got to break out. They, they, that's yeah. just story. I, I think it would have been, like we talked about earlier, I think it would have been cool if a police officer showed up because... Well, that would have made perfect sense given that I guess technically it's not a crime scene because that's not where Bad Dad Leahy, I'm going with this, leaning into <laughs> it, uh, that's not where Bad Dad Leahy dies. But Derek obviously seemed to think they were going to search the house. I think that's sound conclusion. It's mm-hmm. where the victim lived. It's also where the prime suspect lives. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense that they would go there and that's what makes it a little side-eye-ish that Scott thinks it's a good idea to like bunker down there to spend the full moon. I, 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 I think I get the reasoning behind staying there because he didn't, he was starting to feel the effects of the full moon and there wasn't time to get him somewhere else, you know? So she brought the chains to him. And then I guess it was just the freezer is the best place to go. I don't know. But at the beginning of that scene, at the beginning of that scene, Matt sees Derek and Scott's flashlights through a window. So someone else could have easily seen them and called the cops and brought the cops there. So we know that Matt knows they're there. Mm -hmm. 
I feel like maybe the reason that the Canima goes there is because, you know, we find out that Matt has this obsession with Allison, maybe because he's controlling the Canima. The Canima is kind of like tuned into where Allison is at any given time. Hmm. And maybe even that Scott's there and like that sort of creates an opportunity because Scott's her boyfriend. Yeah. I think that's probably the most generous interpretation. You know who also is being generous? Derek Hale. Despite all of the events from season one, he's still going after Scott. What do y'all think about this? I feel so bad, like, you know, rewatching Derek at the start here, trying to like be like all friends with Scott and be like, hey, Scott, don't you want to be part of my pack? Scott being like, no, I hate you. Go away. I just want to be with Allison. I, I think it's interesting that Scott says... If I'm in your pack, then I lose Allison. Yeah, what did he mean by that? Did he think Derek was going to make him break up? Because he hasn't successfully been able to do it for the last season. And I, I I, thought it was more implying that, like, Allison would be upset. But I feel like she low-key wouldn't give a shit at this point. I know. Like, I later, know. obviously, right. that would be different. Yeah. But at this point, she only, like, tangentially knows who Derek is. Like, he's been there for major events that yeah. she's been through and stuff. But, like, he doesn't really have a role in her life. It's like, there yeah. was that one time he drove her home. She forgot her jacket. He put it back in her locker. Kind of creepy, but who cares? She liked that jacket. Yeah. He was, she saw him get tortured, didn't do anything. And he apparently wasn't angry enough about that to, like, attack her or anything. So that's yeah. chill. If anything, saw she him should get be mad shot. at him. Or he should be mad at her, not the other way around. Yeah. But it's not like he ever threatened to kill Allison. Yeah. Yeah, actually, at any point. Yeah, no, he, he didn't care because he was like, I know who is awful in this family. I don't yeah, need he, to I don't need like, to hurt anybody else. <laughs> the only thing, and he did save her life that one time, which she probably doesn't know because I don't think she was, like, aware of that. But he did. When was mm-hmm. that? In Lunatic. Whenever, yeah, right. whenever Scott was going to attack. Scott was, like, right on the yep. edge of killing Jackson and Allison, and Derek was like, that's not a good idea. Let's Stop and count to 10. <laughs> yes. No. Uh, right. Absolutely. Maybe that line is in there because Jeff and the writers knew where the season was going to go. Like maybe they had an idea that we're going to get some dark Allison later on. So it's like setting that up for later. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's but at this generous. point in the timeline, that's not based on anything. You can't no, I really think it, like... if it is that it's just a writer thing. It's just like we're putting in a line. So at the end of the season, we could be like. Like what they, I mean, <laughs> if they wanted to do, I would have been fine if they wanted to do that. If like Scott, during one of their clandestine trysts or whatever, he kind of says something about Derek building a pack and she's like, that guy, pass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then Scott's like, yeah. Derek, not that he needed any encouragement in that department. He was already very much in camp Derek. And then Styles um, was like, okay, I will go do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Wait. Calissa, oh, do you remember that? Uh, one of those incorrect quote things. That, and it was like Styles doing the thing that Rosa did on Brooklyn Nine-Nine about Adrian Pimento, where she's like, ugh, I can't believe I'm going to sleep with that guy. And Jake's like, you don't have to. She's like, no, I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> and then they did the same 
loving when Styles and Scott meet Derek and he's like, ugh, the guy sucks so much. I can't believe I'm going to sleep with him. And Scott's like, you don't have to. And he's like, no, I'm gonna. So many Brooklyn Nine-Nine quotes that work really well with Derek. <laughs> so many. You know what Derek should have done? I'm sure because he he knows everything and he watches everybody. He should have just put his own message against the window. So Allison goes in and does that thing. And it says, dear Allison, to whom this may concern, I do not like you anymore. This is Scott speaking. We should not be together because you are ugly. Goodbye forever or something like that. <laughs> a lot of window space. Yes, a lot of window space. So I still think he should just, you know, continue to send letters to Arjun about like, your girlfriend's totally doing a werewolf. Or your daughter, style. your daughter is totally doing it. Iago style. Yeah. yeah. Yep, Iago style. Dear All sir, these... that werewolf boy is mounting your child. That was Oh, that's what I was that's what I was going to say earlier. They use the word mounting in Othello. Do you think Allison apologized when it was Isaac doing the stabbing? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. That was pretty good. So happy with himself. That concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 2, Episode 3, Ice Pick. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews, get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.